Hi there. Welcome to Liquidation Preference, the podcast that discusses everything founders need to know about startup law and venture capital over a beverage of our choosing. I'm your host, Andrew Kusmal, and I'm glad you stopped by for a quick drink. Today, we will be discussing how you should approach fundraising for your startup while I enjoy sour ale. So grab a drink, pull up a seat, and let's get into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Kusmal Legal, the law firm dedicated to helping founders navigate the legal process of starting, running, and fundraising for a startup. Head on over to kusmallegal.com. That's K-U-S-S-M-A-U-L legal.com to read great material tailored for founders and get help with all your startup's legal needs. I chose a sour ale because it relates very well to today's discussion. In my practice, I've noticed that a lot of my clients have various levels of misconceptions about fundraising. Due to those misconceptions, I've had to spend quite a bit of time re-educating my clients. And, you know, just like that first sip of a sour ale, you know, it's a little bitter. When my clients learn that they've been thinking, approaching, or handling the whole fundraising process wrong, it's a little bit of a bitter pill for them to swallow. However, the punch that flavor brings is eye-opening. And after I explain a few things to them, clear up a few misconceptions, I've noticed that they're able to view the, the process around fundraising in a much different light, in a better light. And I really hope that's what today's conversation will do for you. Hopefully we can clear up a few misconceptions and more importantly, put you on a more level footing with your potential investors. The biggest misconception about raising funds from investors that I have seen is that you can do it in a short amount of time. A lot of my clients come into me and they have schedules and plans for when they expect to get funded and when they expect to raise their other rounds. And while it's good to have those plans, they're definitely a key component to fundraising success. The one thing about those projections is they're usually always wrong and you have to build in some wiggle room there. And one truth that I've seen about fundraising is that it takes a lot longer than expected or you realize. I tend to tell my clients to expect it to take at least six months being out there pounding the pavement, looking for investors, getting a lot of no's before they find the yes that they need. It is different with every startup. Some startups, it they were able to raise their first round of financing or a round of financing in a lot faster time. Sometimes it takes them a little bit longer. This misconception about how long it takes to raise funds, I think it comes from a lot of the articles and success stories that we've always that we hear. We always hear these stories, you know, the ones where some founder was able to raise several million dollars on his first pitch to investors, or he happened to come across an investor at a coffee shop and was just talking to him and found funding that way. While these stories are inspiring, know that these are the exception and not the rule when it comes to the fundraising process and how long it takes. Building on top of how long it takes to raise funds, a lot of founders do not realize the amount of effort that it takes. They start the whole process thinking that it can be relatively easy, and it's not, and they quickly realize that it's a full-time job on top of their already full-time job of running the company. You should always be in fundraising mode when you're trying to find investors, always out there looking for new opportunities, new leads, taking meetings. However, do not forget that at the same time, you have to build your company. 
If you focus on fundraising more than building your company, you do so at your own peril, and you're going to find it very difficult, if not impossible, to find investor funds. After you get funding and after you've experienced a lot of no's and all that hard work and all that time it takes to find funding, it's very easy to get caught up in the excitement of finally finding investors and closing around. And by all means, be excited, be happy about it, but don't treat this round or each other round as an exit. You should be viewing it as a means to an end, to that long-term goal that you have, whether it's that IPO 10 years from now or being acquired by Google. Speaking of getting the funding for your company, there is a misconception on what it should be used for. Investors, specifically seed investors, expect their investment to go to the company, not your wallet. You know, after you get that funding, don't expect to be able to pay yourself an exorbitant salary or buy a brand new Tesla or go on a fancy vacation. You need to spend, put that money back into the company to develop the product, get a polished MVP out, market it, expand into new markets, acquire more customers, reach X amount in revenue. That's really what that money should be going towards, not towards things that are superficial and don't help in getting your startup to that next level. The final misconception that I see a lot is founders thinking that they have to sign a term sheet right away. And I understand the urge. You've, like I said, you've been out there forever doing a lot of hard work trying to find these investors. And you, when you get a term sheet, you're excited and you feel like you need to sign it right then and there. Do so at your own peril. I always recommend that once you get a term sheet, pause, hit the brakes, and consult with your startup attorney about the specific terms and the situation around your fundraising process. They're going to be able to tell you exactly what you need to push back on if the deal's a good deal or if it's not a good deal. And if your startup attorney is telling you that it's not a good deal and you need to walk away, or especially if after a few rounds of negotiations, specific terms that your startup attorney has identified that you should push back on or reject, those don't come to fruition or result in any changes, then you should walk away. I know it's easier said uh, than doing, but especially after all that hard work you put in, but trust me, you do not want to have be stuck with a deal that you resent. So now we're going to cover some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to the fundraising process. Let's start with the don'ts. The first is sending out a mass email to a bunch of investors, like 50 investors in the two line all at once with your pitch. While sending out a cold email to investors does work every once in a while, sending out a mass one, like I just mentioned, definitely will not. First off, it's just lazy. It gives off the wrong impression to investors that you're trying to find investment with very minimal effort. And I guarantee you, an investor who sees that many other investors in the two line is not going to want to open your email because I mean, why would they? Why should they? You send it to so many other investors, surely one of them might read it and invest in your company or it's just to them, it's just lazy and it gives off the wrong impression. And you have to remember that these investors are receiving, you know, hundreds of emails a day, if not more with people trying to pitch their startups to them. So you don't, you don't want something that's just going to be discarded and put in the um, trash box just on first glance. Another don't is 
do not, and I have to say this again, do not ask investors to sign an NDA. There is no clearer sign that you do not know what you're doing than asking an investor to do this. And this may sound harsh, but it's true. You have to think about it. Investors get dozens, if not, well, not hundreds, but definitely dozens of pitches a day. And if they had to sign an NDA before they heard each one of them, not only would it increase their legal fees um, to conduct, to invest in a company, it would also require them to have an army of attorneys to be able to make sure that they weren't violating any sort of NDA when they heard another pitch or they were talking to other investors about your startup. And having an investor sign an NDA, it would make them, it would make those investors not able to find more investors for you. And that's one of the key things. Sometimes investors who are really excited about your company, they'll know other investors who invest in that same space and they'll want to be able to talk to those other investors and try to get them in on the deal as well. If you're worried about an investor stealing your an, your idea, and that's really kind of where the NDA process or concern comes from is that, well, I'm afraid this investor might steal my idea. Well, know that that's just a one-time game. The startup community is very small and investor reputation matters a lot. And if an investor stole your idea, then you can I can guarantee you that they're not going to be able to source any other deals in the future. The final don't is do not lie to investors about anything. Now, I know it's very tempting to inflate a few numbers, uh, maybe make a few misconceptions about the, the where you are in the development process, or to maybe lie a little bit about how a very big contract is pretty much a done deal. The saying, the truth will out, is never true in this situation. Because investors will more specifically, their attorneys conduct a due diligence process where they go over every single thing with your company, documents, you name it, to see if your startup is up to snuff for investment. And if they find anything that does not match what you told them, well, first, you can expect a lot of questions from the investor. And two, pretty much you can almost guarantee that the deal is going to blow up and that the investor is going to pull out of the deal and walk away. You also have to look at this from a practical standpoint too. Lying is one of the main reasons for the dissolution of all relationships. And it goes the same with the relationships with your investors. Most uh, founder investor relationships actually last longer than the average marriage in the US. So you want that type of relationship to be built on trust and open communication. The one major do, I would say, when it comes to finding investors and the whole fundraising process is do your research on the investors before you reach out to them. There are all types of investors. There are investors who invest in certain specific industries, and then there are generalists who invest in everything. Make sure that you are pitching or sending cold emails to the investors who actually invest in the industry that your startup is in. Also, Alluding back to what we talked about earlier with the whole mass email, you want to kind of personalize your email to those investors. You do research on them. You know, what do they like? What do they like to do in their off time? What do they they like to read? Every single investor has got some social media account where you can be able to, to look at that and see what they post about. And, you know, it does not hurt to start an email saying, oh, you know, I really like your post about, you know, X, Y, and Z. I agree. 
start off with that and then, oh, and then go into your pitch with the company. You know, just that little personal touch can make a difference. So when it comes to when you need to raise your money, a lot of my clients approach the question of when to raise wrong. They either raise too early or too late. When it comes to raising too early, it really seems to be an early stage phenomenon. Think seed round, not series A or anything like that. And by too early, I mean they raise before they have an MVP or some sort of traction. You know, as contradictory as it may sound, investors want to mitigate risk as much as possible, especially in the early stages with your unproven startup. You know, they want something that is built and functional. You know, it doesn't have to be polished and ready for mass market, but something that is workable and usable by people. Also, it doesn't help to have, you know, hands-on experience or a demo of the product, the technology, the app, whatever it is that you're building, if that's possible. And that really does work wonders. You know, at the end of the day, slides and mission statements and projections really have nothing compared to an investor being able to get their hands on something. Combining that experience with customer use cases, testimony, acquisition rate, sales data, what name you, you're going to be in a much better spot than the founder of a startup who doesn't have any of that criteria. I have had clients who've raised post-MVP and pre-MVP. And while nothing is guaranteed and every startup is different, I have noticed that those who try to raise their first round pre-MVP have a lot harder time doing it than those who've raised it post-MVP. If you try to raise a round pre-MVP, it's going to be very difficult, even if you're out in Silicon Valley. You know, one final note on this, hardly anyone, unless you're a very famous you know, entrepreneur who's had you know, 20 successful exits, gets seed funding based on an idea alone. You know, this may sound harsh, but, you know, ideas are worth $0. And the reality is somebody probably already thought of that idea before you. You know, execution is really everything when it comes to this. On the flip side of that, you don't want to raise your first round before it's too late. You don't want to raise when you're about to go bankrupt. Now, this is all a balancing act and it's difficult, I know. But, raise, but starting a successful startup and raising money it never is easy, and, but you know it can be done. When it comes to consecutive rounds and when to raise, you want to raise your rounds before you run out of runway. Well, what, what is runway? Runway is your burn rate calculation. It's how much you're spending per month. Remember, you got to build in at least a good six months to raise a round of financing. So you don't want to start raising your next round when there's only one month of runway left. A lot of my clients will sometimes ask me, well, how much should I raise? And while I can't tell you it should be X amount, I can tell you that the number needs to be realistic and based on some sort of math. You know, don't just throw out $20 million for your seed round. I mean, good luck raising that. It should be based on what I recommend to my clients is that it should be based on what you need to get to your next major milestone. You know, whether that milestone is a more polished MVP that's ready for mass market, expanding to a different market, reaching X amount in sales, you know, whatever that amount is, that should be the number that, you're, that you should try to raise 
And of course, build in some wiggle room there, right? Things always cost more than you expect. And there's always some sort of hidden cost or some disaster that's going to come up. So take that number that you need for your next major milestone and build in some wiggle room. And then that should be the number that you should try to raise. The final topic that we're going to discuss is staying focused. Now, after having raised a single or multiple rounds of financing north of a million dollars, you know, a funny thing happens. You suddenly get celebrity status in your local startup community. You're going to be bombarded with requests to do speaking events, panels, podcasts. Newsletters are going to be doing articles about you and your startup and your raise. People are just going to want to hear your story of your success. You know, do not avoid those things by all means, but don't get caught up in the limelight and the celebrity status of it all. You know, you need to stay focused on your business. By all means, enjoy the celebrity status, but keep your feet on the ground. One final bit of advice. The fundraising process is different for every startup. However, if you fail to take into consideration some of what we discussed today, the experience could sour on you and make you bitter. I wish I could order another round with you, but unfortunately it's time to go. If you'd like to learn more about what was discussed today, head on over to my blog at Legal. that's K-U-S-S-M-A-U-L legal.com. Also be sure to follow me on Twitter at Tech Startup Attorney, that's attorney spelled A-T-T-Y, on Clubhouse at Startup Attorney, and on Instagram at Startup underscore Attorney. I hope you enjoyed our time together, your beverage of choice, and that you learned something useful. More importantly, I hope you enjoyed this much needed break from running your startup. Being a founder is stressful, and it's important to take breaks every once in a while. While you're always taking care of your startup, you shouldn't forget to take care of yourself. See you next time. Everything discussed in this episode is purely educational in nature and should not be interpreted in any way as legal advice specific to your startup. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's show and how it pertains to your startup or situation, please consult with your legal counsel.